Good morning. Good to be here again to see all my your real Kent faces and uh, you're becoming like my, part of my family now. <laughs> I was just saying to Graham this morning, wouldn't that be wonderful if what we're seeing in the, in the natural is prophetic, that we're going to see it work in the spiritual. That we're going to see many souls brought in the kingdom. Amen? We long to see God moving. And at times he does let us see it in the natural before he brings it about in the spiritual. And so we would long to come into a time of revival, a time of renewal, a time where God's kingdom is being built week by week. To see the power of God just moving in our midst. Amen. Just to see God come because it's only God that can do that. But wonderful to see God just come down. Uh, Isaiah's cry was, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down and you would do things that only you can do. Amen? We want to see the things that God can do because God can do just amazingly wonderful, powerful things. But one, I'm always looking for confirmation uh, of what God wants me to, to say and to speak about. And that two lines and, and one of the, or the, or the choruses. I think it was when there wasn't a way that, that, that they could take, possible. you made it possible. And that's the theme that I want to speak on this morning. Uh, as I told you last time, uh, you heard my last message on, of my last year's teaching, uh, because my year's teaching starts on my birthday, not at the 1st of January. So what you're getting this morning is the start of uh, what I believe is, is God's word for this year for me. Uh, to preach on and it has given me a couple of words or three words uh, amongst that one is uh, about spiritual alliances how powerful they are it's given me a word about building a generation of overcomers and I'm, I'm excited about that uh, and uh, we're going to see what God is going to do in this coming year so if you've got your Bibles it would be good if you could turn to uh, Exodus chapter 17 I'm going to be preaching most of this year out of the book of Judges that's what I believe that God wants me to preach this year so I'm going to be preaching uh, most of this year out of the book of Judges so if you invite me back you can be sure that you're going to hear some messages out of the book of Judges because that's a book where God shows how to be an overcomer uh, and so overlaying that we're going to uh, overlay the the book of Judges with uh, the letters to the seven churches because every one of the seven churches has got overcomers in it. You know, it doesn't matter how, how bad the state the church was, there was always a message to those who were overcomers. Amen. And I just believe God is saying to me uh, as, as I come to the, to, the, to the back end of my ministry, I'm not saying it's the end of it, but to the back end of it, that I have to leave behind a generation of overcomers. So that is what I'm going to be preaching on this year. Amen. Let's go to... Uh, so this is a, a, a prelude to my preaching on the book of Judges. So it's uh, Exodus chapter 17. It's not a, a big chapter, so I'm just going to take time to read that this morning because it's, uh, and I, I just pray, God, that you would just open up our minds this morning as we read your word, that you would just uh, minister into all our lives by it. Holy Spirit, you're the one who, who really wrote the word, and we're asking you to, to give a true interpretation of it this morning. It says in verse number 1, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? 
But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They have almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, walk ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the mile, and go, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses, so Moses did this in the sight of, uh, of, of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The Amalekites then came and attacked the Israelites that refed them. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua brought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as, as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Har went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it and Aaron and Har held up his hands one on one side and one on the other so that his hands remained steady that word steady just as a, as a passing thought this is the first time that word steady in this forum is in, the, is in the Bible and it really is translated in all other places it's faithful that Moses was faithful in doing what, uh, what he was doing and so he, uh, he remained steady until, until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and, caused, and called it, the Lord is my banner, or you might know it as Jehovah in this eye. The Lord is my banner. For he said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And God will add a blessing to the reading of uh, this, uh, this section from the Word of God. Where there is no way, God makes it possible. And uh, we go through... Many circumstances in life where we think there's no way out of it, we can't see a door at the end uh, or, or, the, or a dark tunnel or see light at the end of a tunnel, but when our faith is in God and not in our circumstances, then we know that our God is faithful. Yes, we serve a faithful God, a God who never, ever, ever leaves us and lets us down. And so here is uh, here is the. Uh, some of the journeys of the children of Israel as they make to camp at the foot of, of, of Sinai and they have received the law of God. They're on their way. And uh, it says in, 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 in chapter 15, verse, verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. Now, that word led is quite powerful. It means he almost had to drag them away because they were in the place of singing and dancing. You know, they had seen God's victory.
victory. They had watched the enemy lie on the shore and they were on the other side of the Red Sea and they were dancing and they were, they were rejoicing and they were in that place of victory and it's as always as if that's the place they wanted to stay, you know, because that word led or brought in, in some translation means you always have to drag them away from the place of dancing and victory. You see, and he was leading them into the wilderness. He was leading them away from this place of, uh, of rejoicing and dancing and was leading them into the wilderness and there their character was going to be built. Amen. You see, when we come into circumstances of life, it's not that God wants us to bring us into defeat. He wants to build our character. He wants, to, he wants us to learn how no matter how dark or how, how, how dire the circumstances are, that he is faithful. Amen. And we've all been there. We've all thought that the heavens were as brass. Come on now. Let's be honest. We've all been in a place where we've really thought the heavens were made. God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? But God is above the cloud. God is above the circumstance. And he wants us to get rid of all thoughts or notions of depending on ourselves so that we can fully depend on him. Amen? And if, you, if we don't learn any other lesson this morning, it's this, that no matter how thick the cloud is round about us, we want to say this morning that our God is faithful and that he is in the cloud and above the cloud and with us. As we learned when, uh, uh, when Moses came to Horeb, it says, the Lord says, I'll stand with you. Wow, I think that's just an amazing face to know that whatever circumstance of life we are in, where there doesn't seem to be a way, he's the God who's able to make it possible. Amen. And so here we have uh, uh, Moses leading them away from the Red Sea into, into the desert. I don't know where I got this phrase. It's not my phrase. But all sunshine makes a desert right if we only lived under, under sunshine it, we would become a desert because we need the adversity we need that when it comes against us why? because it, 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 it teaches us how to trust God and if it was all sunshine we wouldn't have any, any need, real need to trust God because it was all sunshine but God brings us into circumstances not to bring us about our defeat but we're brought into circumstances so that God can prove how faithful he is. Amen? And so here is, uh, they've, they've, they're being led away from the place of dancing and victory and joy. And he's leading them into the desert of Shur. And for three days they travelled without finding water. It's interesting that, that uh, uh, I was going to touch on this later on, but I feel I'm going to touch on it now. There is a lot of instances in the Bible where... The people of God come to a halt because there's no water. We've got one here. There was water, but it was bitter. Then uh, when they came to, to Rephidim, there was no water. When we come into Judges 1, we'll probably speak on that uh, the next time I'm here, when we have the prayer of, of, uh, of Caleb's daughter, she was giving the fields in the Southland, but there was no water. So she had to make a request to her father and asked that he would give her springs and he gave her the upper and nether springs because without the water it's barrenness. Without the water it's just, we're just not alive in God. 
And then we come into that wonderful chapter in 2 Kings chapter 3 where the king of Moab is revolted against the king of Israel. See, he calls for the king of, of Judah, which is Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, and they march out against Moab. They have all the equipment, they are all well equipped to take on the, the armies of Moab, but when they get into the wilderness, when they get into the desert, they discover that they had no water. Yeah, you see, and I, I believe that water in, in the Bible means, means two things. One, it means the word of God. And two, it means the Holy Spirit. See, we cannot move without the word of God. And we cannot move without the Holy Spirit. Because that is no Holy Spirit, no church. Because it's uh, the Holy Spirit that birthed the church. The Holy Spirit that guides the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who communicates from heaven to the church. And so we need to be in a place where we know that we are moving in water. Because that is what we need. We need to have water. And so there's all instances right through the scripture where uh, there's a wilderness with no water. We need the word of God. Amen. We really need the word of God. As we'll see in this chapter as we unpack it. Uh, that the word of God is so important in these situations. Because Moses had to rely entirely upon the word of God. Or the people would have stoned him. The people would have killed him. And whatever we were to leaders today. But not in the sense. I'm going to have a, a word to the congregation about leaders. Because I think it's so important that we understand that God has given us leaders. And I want to show a wee bit from this chapter how important it is about leadership. And so we're going to come to that. And so they, they come to, to this place where there's no, there's no water. They think that God has you brought us out here to die. You brought our children out here to die. You brought our livestock out here to die. God, where are you? We've travelled for... Now, I can understand them. You know, imagine going three days without water. Imagine not knowing where you're going to get a nice drink coming from. So, they were getting a wee bit, uh, a wee bit frustrated. But they forgot that they'd seen the almighty hand of God when they crossed the Red Sea. They'd seen the power of God at work. And God had called them over the Red Sea. And God was leading them. And they, therefore, should have trusted God. But being human, <laughs> because we're all human, and we all reach situations, and, and uh, we, we think God should answer our prayers uh, at that time. If they'd only waited another, I think it's about eight miles, they'd have come to the place called Elam, where there was multiple the provision. There was 12, is it 12? The 12 palm trees and uh, 12 springs of water and there were 70 palm trees, date palm trees so there was water and there was food just at 7 miles down the road I, I just want to say to you today, don't give up ok, you could be this close to your miracle, you could be this close to seeing God moving in almighty power and if they had just went on another 7 miles they'd have come to Elam and they wouldn't have to, have to grumble against Moses. And they wouldn't have to cry out to God. Is God forsaking us? They say, we could be so close. So close to seeing the power of God working in our lives. But because we haven't went that full distance, we then come into a place of grumbling. You know, this is the start of, of, the, of the children of Israel. And they were learning how to grumble. I want to tell you, as I travel around Scotland, the church is a place that grumbles. 
really? I hear, I hear grumbles all the time, you know? But when they're grumbling against Moses, what they're really doing is they're grumbling against God. Because God has promised to be faithful. So it's, don't come to your leaders expecting them to be God because they're not God. And if you've got a problem and you start to grumble and you come to your leaders and you're grumbling, you're not grumbling against the leaders, you're grumbling against you believing that God is not able to meet your need. And I, I, I feel hard, sorry, for leaders at times, because I don't know what it's like in this fellowship, but there will be people in here who have a grumble. And they come to the leaders expecting the leaders to, to fix out their grumble. I want to tell you, God's the one that fixes out your grumble. Not your leaders. And so many leaders are destroyed because they cannot take any more with the grumbling of the people. Every, every word they say that's grumbled against, that's grumbled against this, that's grumbled. Listen, treat your leaders with respect because they are, God has raised them up in their place of leadership. So treat them with respect. If you've got a grumble, you need to go before God and say, Why have I got this grumble? Not to your leaders to exacerbate it, but if you have got a grumble in the fellowship, you need first of all to go before God about that grumble and say, God, why have I got this grumble? Why is it happening that I'm not seeing God move in my life? And you need to get the answer from God, because your leaders are not God. God has just raised them up into a position of being able to lead the people of God, but they are not God. And Moses wasn't God, but they started to treat Moses as God because when they came with the grumble, they came to Moses and not to God. I just want to get a wee bit in. I want to say, <laughs> I want to say, as we, uh, I'm just going to be jumping backwards and forwards. I want to say that when, uh, when we come back, when we come to Rephidim and there's no waters, the grumbling really gets bad. The grumbling really gets bad when they come to Rephidim because they're about to stone Moses and the demand of Moses, see, the demand of Moses and it says this, so they quarreled and they said to Moses, give us water to drink. They were demanding a miracle from Moses and he wasn't able to give that miracle because they were treating Moses as God. It was God who provided, who told Moses where the stick was or the tree was to cast into the waters in, in chapter 15. And it was only God that could bring the water that they needed in Rephidim. But they went to Moses and they said, they demanded, give us this. I hope we are not like that with your leaders in here, that you demand that the leaders give you this now. You see? Because I want to tell you, they are not God. It's only God that can meet your need. They are only there to, to really be shepherds and to, and, and to guide you spiritually. But they are not God. They cannot answer your miracle. They cannot give you anything. It's only God that can do it. And I may be so preaching to the inverted here, but it's just something that I've had on, on, on my spirit, that we need to, 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 to react to our leaders, that they're not God. They're only representatives in the fellowship. They're leading the fellowship. So, when Moses asked God at Rephidim, what am I to do with these people? God then said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do, I want you to do four things. So, because I want you to learn something here. Okay? When Moses asked God, what am I to do about this? What am I to do about the people? You see the grace of God at work here. You know? You see the wonderful grace of God. He, he, and he said, I want you to do four things. 
And if I can just find it in, in, in my Bible here. It says this. The Lord answered Moses and said, Walk on ahead of the people. See, Moses was all for giving up leadership. Moses thought that he couldn't lead this people any, any further because they grumbled so much that they were about to storm them. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But... God honoured Moses as the leader. He told him to walk out in front of the people. God was giving the leader his authority and his honour. Isn't that nice? That Moses was almost about to give up. They were about to stone him. And God said to Moses, now this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk out in front of the people. You're going to honour the position that God has given you. And you're going to walk out in front of the people. So I'm going to honour you and the people. I want you to take some elders with you. It's always good to have other, other people with you because uh, I, I, I'm a, a great believer in, in succession. And so if you, if you are, are leaders, you need to be training up other leaders to see the power of God at work, okay? So one, you have to walk out in front of the people. God was honouring the position of leadership. Two, you have to take other people with you so that they could witness and see the power of God at work. Number three, where are we now? Uh, take the staff of God in your hand uh, I might expand that a wee bit more because it's, it's authority and power of God that you move in the authority and power of God you haven't got the authority see there's a lot of teaching today that says that we have, we have the same authority that Jesus has no we haven't Jesus says all authority has been given to me and we only have that authority as we're linked with him. We have no authority within ourselves. The authority only comes from, from him, okay? All authority, where in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And Jesus never relinqu relinquishes that authority. But we can move in that authority and that power as long as we're linked to him. And so we need to make sure that we are moving in the will of God. And so he said... Uh, you, have, you have to go, you have to take the, the elders with you, take in your hand the staff that you struck the nail, and go. You know, that's the hardest bit sometimes to do. It's not like knowing the other three points, but you've got, to, you've got to put it into effect. And he said, now I want you to go. And so Moses was obedient to the word of God. He went uh, uh, stand, and I will stand there before you by the rock. What a wonderful promise it is to the leadership of the people here that when they were moving in the will of God, when they were moving in the authority and power of God, when they were moving with, the, with, with that authority in their hand, and they went and they, uh, and they go, God says, I'll stand with you. Wow, I think that's an amazing promise. I will stand with you at the rock of Horeb, and you will. Uh, and so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because he struck the, the rock, and out of the rock came water. Amen. Out of the rock came water. That rock that was smitten is, a, is Paul links that to the cross of Christ. Paul links that to 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 Christ being being on the cross. But after Christ was on the cross and he went into the grave, we're going to, we're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks' time. He's going to rise again from the dead and he's now seated at the right hand of God. And when he was seated at the right hand of God, God poured out what? He poured out his Holy Spirit. You see, and I believe that this is a picture of, of uh, where we are in our wilderness journey that we, we rely on the cross of Christ we rely on the, on the blood that's been shed, but we must also have the water, the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus stood up in the last day of the feast, John chapter is it, is it, is it 7, John chapter 7, and he said, If anyone thirst, 
Let them come to me and drink, for as it has been written, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And then a parenthesis said that he was speaking what? He was speaking about the Holy Spirit. That was still yet to come. And so I want to tell you, leaders and congregation this morning, we are so privileged. We are so, so privileged this morning that we are under the blood of Jesus. Amen? That we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We are cleansed for eternity. We are, our salvation is secure. And we are receivers of the Spirit, not of this world, but we are receivers of the Spirit who is from God. Do you feel privileged this morning? Really? Do you really feel really, really privileged this morning? That God, I was just saying that to, to Graham this morning, or we're praying that in this morning, that this faithful God takes the likes of me and you and is able to work his purposes out in this day, in this generation. How, how wonderful a privilege is that? But God takes the likes of me especially because I'm speaking for myself and he undertakes to work out his plans and purposes in this generation and the part of the vineyard that has given me to work them out for his glory. Come on, that is just an amazing, an amazing, amazing thing to do. So that was just a, a, a prelude up to what I want to maybe speak on a wee bit this morning. It shows you that the people of God are easily put off. <laughs> We are such, we actually blame the children of Israel for all the things that they did, but they're not much better because we, we do grumble. <laughs> we, and we do grumble at leaders. I want to tell you this morning if you've got a grumble, go to God with it and ask God why you've got this unsettledness in your heart, why you've got this problem in your life. Don't bypass God. And try to put that onto your leadership, okay? Because that's not their, that's not their responsibility. So if you've got a gripe, <laughs> go to God with it. And God will answer you. And then you can, you can actually share it with your leadership. There's nothing wrong with sharing with your leadership. But to go and gripe at them and grumble, that's a different matter. Because Moses is saying, you're not grumbling against me, you're really, you're really testing God. We're going to move on, okay? Uh, so, if they went on that wee bit longer, it's only, I think, about seven miles from, uh, from Mara to Elam. And that was where God had already provided the provision. And they had to go on that extra seven mile, and they came to the twelve springs of water and the, the seventy date palm trees. The water comes which I believe is a picture of the Holy Spirit coming. And the next verse says this, Then Amalekites came. We can read other places in, in the Bible, the, the Amalekites were the first... God had fought all the battles up to now for Israel. He had fought the Egyptians, he had, he had caused them to be drowned in the sea, he had led them from place to place. Now God was... God says, I could have taken a shorter route, but you weren't prepared for battle. You hadn't, you hadn't built up that trust in me. And so God is actually taking them, he's getting them from place to place in order to build up character. The Amalekites were the first enemy that really came against the, the people of God. And you know where they attacked them, you've got to go over, over to Deuteronomy to find that out, I think it's Deuteronomy 25. They attacked the stragglers and those that were weak 
and those that were just at the rear end of these millions of people. That was what the Amalekites did. And it said that they did not fear God. And if you want a New Testament equivalent of the Amalekites, it's, it's the flesh. That is the New Testament equivalent of the Amalekites because whenever the Spirit of God comes on the scene, the first thing that happens is the flesh has a battle with the Spirit. That's Galatians chapter 5. Where there's a war, there's a battle takes place between the Spirit and the flesh. There are three main, there are three main battlefields in your life and my life. And it's for, it's for who's going to sit on the throne and, and supremacy and who's going to win. The f- the battle in, in 1 John chapter 1 is that if you love the world, you cannot love the Father. So there's a battle between the world and the Father. The choice of who, who we love in our lives. So that's a huge battle between the world and the Father. You can read it yourself in 1 John chapter 1. The second battle is in Galatians chapter 5 where the Spirit... And the, and the flesh are at war. They're fruits of the, of the flesh, and we see them widespread in the world, but unfortunately we're seeing them starting to be widespread in the church, the fruits of the, of the flesh, but there's only one fruit of the Spirit, and it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, uh, 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 kindness, and uh, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So there's that battle between the world and the Father. There's that battle between the Spirit and the flesh. And then there's a battle between the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan to who is Lord of your life. So that's the three areas of battlefield that we're in. And it's all pictured in, in the journeys of the children of Israel. Amen. And so the Spirit of God had just come. The water had flowed at a rock. And the very next moment the Amalekites hit the rear end of the children of Israel. The Bible says this because he attacked the weak ones. Now that's interesting. You might say, oh, that, that's the people that maybe are just a wee bit hangers on, the wee bit, the, the folk that, that really didn't take any much interest in the, in the fellowship. I want to tell you that's not the case because the Bible tells you that when you're strong in yourself, you're weak. And it's only when you're weak in yourself that the strength of God can be made manifest in your life. And that's why we see so many leaders being sort of toppled across, especially in the States, where we see spiritual leaders being toppled because they get to a place where they think that they're strong, where they think that they can rule and they can control and they can say this. So it behoves us to really be weak before God and say, God, I'm so weak, but I know that you're the one who keeps pouring in strength. Amen. He, he keeps pouring in strength. That's what it says in, in Philippians. He keeps pouring in strength. And then, if you are dependent on that, then when the flesh comes against you, when the Amalekites comes against you, you're able to stand because you're not weak. You're strong in God. What a God we have, isn't it? Who wants us, who is preparing us. See, he's building character in the children of Israel. And he's building character in us day by day. That when the clouds come, when the trials come, when, like here, there's no water, there's no bread, there's nothing. When all these trials come, we know that our God is just above the trial. He is greater than the trial and he can meet our every need. Moses said to Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the Amalekites tomorrow. I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. See, 
up till now, Moses has had to ask God what he's to do. He's been saying, what do I do with this people? This water that I've got here in chapter 15 is bitter. What do you do? And God says, well, there's a tree, cast it in. And I've not got time to develop that up. But it's all about obedience to the word of God. And then they come into the, into the wilderness, there's no bread, there's no food. And God says, well, I'll give you, I'll give you cools in the evening and I'll give you manna in the morning. You see, God is faithful. He hears all their complaints. And so, Moses, in this, he doesn't need to ask here what he's to do because the water's flowed and the power of God has been, has been made known and his leadership has been honoured and so Moses is in, the, in this place now of knowing that his leadership is honoured of God and because the people have saw the power of God working his leadership is honoured in the company just one, one word one final word on that honour your leadership okay? honour your leadership because it's not an easy place to be in so he had to take the staff of God in his hands you know, that ordinary staff, the ordinary, if you go back to Exodus is it 3, where he, he drew aside the sea, that burning bush, and God said to him, what's in your hand? And he said, well, it's my, it's, it's my shepherd's crook or my staff. Throw it down, it became a snake, and he was told to pick it up with the, with the tail end. Now, you'd never, never pick a, stay, a snake up with the tail end, because it would just turn and bite you. But he believed God, he picked it up, and it turned back into a staff again. And that was the staff that God had given Moses. That was his power and his authority. It was never the staff of Moses. It's always the staff of God. It's always the staff of God. And so here is Moses with his staff. And he's at the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are chasing him because they've had a change of mind. And they want to bring the... The Israelites back under their control, and the people say, What we're going to do, stand still and see the salvation that God is going to show you. That's wonderful. Then Moses, then God says to Moses, Why are you standing here? That rod I gave you, hold it over the Red Sea. And when he held it over the Red Sea, that amazing miracle took place that allowed the children of Israel to dry to go over it and dry ground. That's the power and authority of God that God had put in the symbol of that staff. Other times he's used the staff of God to bring about the authority and power of God so here he's standing the Amalekites are attacking the people of God the flesh in the New Testament is starting to attack the people of God is going after the weak, is going after those that it can draw back into the, the, the fruits of the flesh or, the, or, or and Moses says I'm going to take the staff of God up the hill Amen it's wonderful for people who climb the hill Amen you know, it's wonderful we've got people in our midst who are able to climb the hill, who reach out into heaven, who go up the hill and reach out into heaven. That's the backbone of any church, okay? The backbone of any church is the people who want to stand on the hill before God and affect the battle down in the valley. They might not be in the battle, but what they're doing is affecting the battle. We need to stop spray praying. I've got to say it slowly because I was up saying spray painting. <laughs> we need to stop spray praying. What do I mean by that? Just anything that comes out of their mind. You know, anything that comes out of their mind, oh, I can pray this, pray that, pray the next thing. And it's never waited before God. And it really has no effect at times. The illustration of that is the Gulf War. Saddam Hussein had 
remember the scud missiles, you know? They would be on, on the back of a lorry, they would drive them somewhere, and they would fire them. But he had no idea where they were going, because there was no guidance system on them. And, you know, he had to watch the American CNN news to see where the scud missiles had landed. <laughs> that, that's, you know, that, you know, he sent all these scud missiles, but he had no idea where they were going. So he had to watch the American news in order to see if they were reporting if they had done any damage in Israel. But when the Allies came in with their force, they didn't spray all these missiles without knowing where they were going. They had missiles that they could put almost a postcode on. And they could be in the Gulf and they could fire them and it could fly and it could go around corners and it could go right in and hit the target where they wanted to go. That's the kind of praying that we want to have in our churches. Amen. We want to have the prayer in our churches that we know are going to be specific and are going to cause God to hear and to answer our prayer away above and beyond what we can ever ask a thing. So, is our prayer thing filled with, with spray praying? Or are they filled with smart praying, like the smart bombs, the smart missiles that the Allies had in the Gulf War? Because it is possible to pray directly and specifically in order for God to meet that need. You've been in prayer meetings. I've been in prayer meetings. When's this going to finish? Because there's just no power. And you know, when certain people go in, they're going to, say, they're going to pray the same prayers. And you know when they get to the Queen, you know that they're almost, almost finished. That is a prayer meeting without power. That's a prayer meeting without water. That's a prayer meeting where there's no waiting upon God. You see, we need to wait upon God. See, Moses waited upon God to hear what God was saying before he took action. Amen? And we need to get in the place in our prayer meetings at times of just being quiet before God. You know, we hate silence. We think every, every minute should be filled up with, with, with something. But what if God wants to speak to us? What if God wants to, to speak to the fellowship in a specific way, but he hasn't got the room to do it? We need to give God room in order to speak. Moses gave God room because he didn't know what to do in these situations. So he had to wait upon God to listen to what God was saying. And when God then spoke, he knew that when he went to do it, it was going to work. Amen. Oh, that we could pray like that, that when we knew what we were praying, we knew it was going to work. Amen. Know this, if it's your will, God, you know, we would be specific in our praying because we're heard from God. We need to take time in our prayer meetings to listen to God. We need to take time in our private lives to listen to God. Because we need to hear what he's saying in order that we can, we can move in his power and his authority. Because if we don't wait upon God, we're not handling the rod of God, we're not handling the authority and the power that's in the Lord Jesus Christ properly unless we wait upon God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up in wings of female eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wow. Waiting is so important to hearing what God is saying. Because when we hear what God is saying, we then know that when we pray it, wow, it's going to work. Amen. And so that's one of the lessons that we do learn from this, these, these, uh, these, these verses that we've read together this afternoon. Spiritual alliances. Spiritual alliances. See, Moses couldn't do it on his own. So he took up Aaron and her up the mountain with him. Thank God for men like her. Eh? Thank God for men like her who are able, who are willing to stand by and help in times of great need. 
And so here is Moses is standing up and they found that when he had the staff of God raised to heaven, the children of Israel were winning. But when his arms got weary and the, the staff came down, the Amalekites were winning. So they twigged on that very quickly. And so they got a stone and, and they sat Moses down in the stone and Aaron and her took one hand or one arm, one arm, and they held up until the battle was won. Spiritual alliances are so important. We don't want any lone rangers. The church is filled with lone rangers. We want people who are form, forming real spiritual alliances. I believe I've, I've uh, made a real spiritual alliance with this here in Woodensburn. I speak in other places in Lanarkshire and I feel I've built up, I'm making spiritual alliances. We had, I had a meeting in Abington on, uh, on Thursday. Five guys from different backgrounds, but we were there because we had a sense that we were going to form a spiritual alliance to see God move in Scotland. And so here was five ordinary guys. The world would have laughed at what we were praying. The world would have laughed at what we were saying. But we believed that we were moving in the power of God. And so I, I, I want you to pray for, for these spiritual alliances that will see them spring up. And they'll be across denominations. They won't only be in one fellowship. They'll be across fellowships. Because that's where the strength is. That's where the power is. When the body of Christ is working together. Not in, a, in one particular fellowship. But across the body of Christ. In a town or an area. In a zone. That's where we're going to see the power of God. Really come down and work. And so here we have Moses. We have Aaron. And we have her. To put it another way. We have represented there. We have her who is of the tribe of Judah so that represents the praise side we have Aaron who is a man who was going into the very presence of God that could represent the prayer side and we have Moses in the middle with authority and the rod of God and he was a prophet so we have the prophetic we have the praise and we have the, the prayer all in a spiritual alliance wow what power is in that isn't it you know don't don't reject the prophetic. You know, we're, we're so easy just to, just to wipe off and say, oh, that, that's past. The days of the prophetic have not passed. And we need people speaking prophetic words into our life. We need to hear, because there are those who have that gift of hearing what God is saying. You know, we need the fivefold ministry working because that's the gifts for the risen Christ to the church. Ephesians chapter 4, that is the, 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 the risen Christ giving the governmental gifts to the church. And yet, we, I can't mention them in some places I go. I still mention them. But I can see, you know, apostles, prophets. Oh, evangelists can stand. Well, teachers, yeah, yeah. And, and shepherds, yeah. But, oh, God has given us a fivefold ministry. In order for the body of Christ, what? To be brought to maturity. Because it says that in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 4, that the reason that they have been given so that they might equip the church and that the church might come to maturity. So without the fivefold ministry and operation, the church will never be mature. It will always be immature. And we need to have a mature church in these last days. Amen? And we need to be moving. Now, it's not titles. I keep saying this to people, it's not, oh, I'm an apostle, you know, we've passed that day. Oh, I'm a prophet, we've passed that day. Oh, I'm a, it's function. 
It's how we operate in the body of Christ. Because I want to tell you, in the body of Christ, we're all flatliners. We're all one in Christ, okay? We're all flatliners, but God has given a specific role to different people. And we're all important. And if we hadn't come together with Aaron and her and, and Moses, the Amalekites would have won. But because there was a spiritual alliance, they're able to stand against the enemy that was trying to destroy them right at the start of their journey. Whenever the Holy Spirit came, the Amalekites came and they tried to destroy what God was building. Don't let the enemy destroy what God's building in your fellowship. Don't allow the enemy to destroy what's happening in your life. Because we have a God who is above all that, who is powerful, who is gracious, who is loving, who is patient. And that we verse again, where there is no way, God makes it possible. And there will only that away from the rich provision of God and the twelve string springs and the seventy day palm trees. There's so much more I could say. I'm going to end with one thing. Ha! Huh. And I was speaking about about generational succession, about about you know what happened. You know who, who her grandson was? See, I, I love to see I love to see spiritual generations. And her grandson was Bezalai, who was the one who made all that wonderful intricate stuff for the tabernacle. That was that was his grandson. So what is the legacy that we're handing over to our children? What's the legacy that we're not only the natural, but what's the legacy we're, we're handing over to our children spiritually? Because Paul wasn't the father of St. Timothy, but he saw him as a spiritual son, therefore he was handing over, he was trying to build up. And that's why, that's why Moses always took Joshua with her, because he was teaching Joshua leadership. And you leaders, you need to be start to training other people in succession. You need to be taking other people alongside you in order that you can train them up because they want to see God at work in you. And when you're in that place of leading people, you see, Martin Luther King, he made a, a great speech. It wasn't the I Have a Dream speech. I think there's a far greater speech that, that Martin Luther King made on the, on the night or, 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 or yeah. The night in which he was killed, he had just made a speech in that hotel. Was it Atlanta he was killed? I can't remember now. I th think it was Atlanta he was killed in. But that night in Atlanta, he said that he might not be able to lead them on into where he felt God was, was going to do with, uh, with, that, uh, with the civil rights in America. But he said, this is what he said as a leader. He said, I have climbed the hill. And I have seen the other side. Amen. Leadership. You should be climbing the hill so that you've got a place to lead your people to. You, you, you've got, you need to be in a place where you're leading the people somewhere. You're not just meeting on a Sunday. And uh, You need to be, if you're a leader of God's people, you need to be knowing where God wants you to lead them. And so I think that Martin Luther King, if you Google that speech, it's a great speech. I have climbed the hill and I have seen the other side. And that's what makes great leaders. They've climbed the hill, they've seen God's plans, they've seen God's purposes, and they say to the congregation, come on, I've climbed the hill, I've seen the other side, and this is where we want to go as a fellowship. Amen? Last word. It says, Jehovah on this side, God is my banner, God is the one who protects us in victory. We can, you know, we still have treatment with the colour today, which is the very same thing which is happening here in Moses. 
And Moses did because Jehovah on this side, God is my banner. We still have, every regiment has got a flag at the gathering. It's a gathering place, it's a standard that's raised up in the battlefield. And when the banner falls, you can almost be certain that that's a place of defeat. But God is our banner. Jehovah on this side, God is our banner. Amen. God is our banner. And no matter where we go, no matter what we do, God is our banner. He is the gathering place for us because we know that when we follow that flag, that banner, He is Jehovah on this side, the one who will provide. And then it says so something very important, and it says this Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah on this side. And he said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of God. I think that's an amazing statement. You see, we need. We are able to put our hands on the throne of God. Amen. What a wonderful place for our hands to be. That we can put hands on the throne of God. And affect what's happening down in the valley. You and I are so privileged this morning. Maybe it's been a wee, a wee bit of challenging message to the leaders. Maybe a, a big challenge to the congregation. How you, how you respect your leaders. How, you, how, you, how, you, how you, you work with your leaders. But remember this. It's always God. It's always him that gets the glory. It's always him that gets exalted. It's always him that is glorified. And so your leaders are not God. But they stand in the place of leadership to help you to reach a place of understanding of who you are in Christ. Amen. That's my word this morning. Bit of challenge. But I just give you that word from God this morning. I believe that's the, the word that God laid on my heart. And uh, I just leave it with you and pray God's blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen.